the incomparable. Number 467, June 2019. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. We're doing a special episode this week. I'm on vacation, but what I have for you is something really funny and really good. This comes from back on April 1st. We released to members three different editions of Rocket Surgery. One went in the regular feed as well, and this is the third I'm rolling out a little bit after the fact of the regular feed. This is improvisational rocket surgery. The whole premise here is we watch these terrible movies you've never heard of and recap the plot and talk about everything that's wrong with them. And as somebody pointed out to us, you really can't tell whether it's a real movie or whether we made it up. And they were all real movies. But for April 1st this year, we decided to do three of them that we made up on the spot. And this is one of those. So this episode features host Moises Chuyan and guests Annette Weirstra, John McCoy, and Cicero Holmes. And they are all faking it about a movie that does not exist. But you'll believe it exists as you listen. It's not brain science. It's rocket surgery. This is Last Dance of the Devils with an apostrophe S. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable's Rocket Surgery, where we watch a bad movie and talk about it. It's nothing like any podcast that does that, by the way. Just thought I should get that out of the way. In this episode, we watched 1993's Last Dance of the Devils, with an apostrophe S, as I mentioned, written, directed, produced, and photographed by Derek Stevens. Uh, I'm Moises Chuyan. Uh, I would normally say that Jason Snell is on assignment, but in in this particular case, I recommended a movie that was so bad and such a waste of his time during a very busy time of year for him. Uh, he said, you know what? Why don't you host this? Um, so uh, <laughs> apologies if um, if the if the person uh, steering the surgery is less skilled than before. Uh, but at the end, the corpse is still going to be butchered regardless. Uh, joining me uh, directly to the uh, to the to the left or right of the Internet. Who cares? Uh, cardinal directions don't matter. After watching this movie, not much of anything matters. Um, before we dig into talking about this post-apocalyptic skateboard samurai punk Star Wars ripoff thing. Uh, Annette Weirstra. Do I have that right? You do have that right. Hey, all right. Yeah. You know, I'm one of the fools who decided to watch this movie. I'm not sure if I regret it or not. I I worry that uh, we may have created something of an international incident uh, by involving uh, the uh, down here. We call it the Texas of the North, uh, Alberta. Yes. Uh, Alberta calls us <laughs> their redheaded uh, step cousin. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, no, no reason. But um, Annette, do, do you feel do you feel like a more misogynistic movie could be made? You know, no, I actually don't. I'm just going to say no. Flat okay. Out no. Okay. Okay. We'll 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 get into mm-hmm. uh, to all of that uh, in, in just a moment. Um, <laughs> directly to her, who cares what direction? Uh, John McCoy. John, how are you? Uh, I've I've recorded things for you, but never actually recorded anything with you, which is all my fault and not yours. Well, well, I'm glad to be here, and I have one question for you, which is: Did you ever dance with the devils on the pale moonlight? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not on a skateboard, not on a skateboard. Uh, so, so indeed I, 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 uh, I, I am, I am never going to ascend to that, that, uh, higher level of reality. Uh, and finally, last, but certainly not least, uh, um, someone I've known for, for uh, quite a while and, and I uh, dragged not kicking and screaming. Um, but, uh, 
but uh, but doing vocal exercises uh, on his way in the door uh, to incomparable madness. Mr. Cicero Holmes from deep in the heart of Chicago. Yes, I was uh, skateboarding down the half pipe. Uh, <laughs> I may or may not have been wearing a uh, a speedo that uh, reminds me of the devils. <laughs> the devil's speedo. So I, for a movie this incomprehensible in some ways and looks like somebody shot it in their backyard in other ways. Uh, I, I feel like there, there, there has to be a little bit of a primer for this because this is not, this is not something that you can pull up on YouTube that you can order a DVD that looks like it was ripped off of a VHS from, because it's something that I discovered, uh, at, uh, at, at what we, uh, we referred to, um, as open screen night, uh, at the Alamo draft house where we have a VHS player, uh, we have a screen and people just bring stuff. And this is one of the things that came up uh, during during that. Uh, And it is it is part of a subset of movies that were made for VHS through no real big uh, company or studio or anything in the 80s and the 90s that seem to almost be lost films. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. Um, (laughs) The the stuff the stuff that I would point people to for. I guess setting your mind to the aesthetic of what we're dealing with here. Uh, there is a particular auteur of these movies, a guy named Donald G. Jackson, uh, who is probably best known for a movie called hell comes to Frogtown with Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, you know, hero to, to many a wrestling fan. Um, and he also had this, this kind of sub series called the rollerblade seven, which has a striking amount in common with, uh, with tonight's terrible trash piece, um, where gangs of people on rollerblades would fight on oddly non rollerblade friendly surfaces. Um, samurai <laughs> swords were involved. Leather trench coats were involved. Both of these things very prominent in last dance of the devils. I should mention again, apostrophe S, it's totally intentional. Um, and the reason why is insane. There there seems to be this running theme of these guys who uh, made these movies of having uh, issues with some hegemonic secret shadow government uh, or conspiracy to demasculinize them. Um, it, it's... Um, it's 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 almost it, i would say it would be impossible to to encapsulate but uh in place of a of a crawl like you would get in a star wars movie in last dance of the devils we actually have effectively a montage that that is like scenes from later in the movie that plays at the beginning of the movie over which joe estevez brother of martin sheen who looks a lot like martin sheen sounds a lot like martin sheen is not remotely as talented as Martin Sheen <laughs> effectively exposition dumps a bunch of stuff that they then proceed to continue to go through throughout the, uh, the run of the movie. Um, before I get into, get into a, a breakdown of the plot and we start stepping through, uh, these piles of crap. Um, I, I wonder if, if, if the panel has, has thoughts, has, uh, feelings they want to get out there, um, before we, we jump in. You, you know, I wanted to say, I had heard of this film uh, a long time before, and I'm really racking my brain for where I possibly could have seen it. I, I, I want to say it was like on on Night Flight or Billy Bob Briggs or one of those shows that was like in the late 80s, early 90s um, There that just did like uh, snippets from movies and stuff. You know, they right. would do like snippets of exploitation films because I, I, there is a scene – there's a sequence in here where there's this one scene where they 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 just 
strap a camera on the side of the skateboard. You remember it's like like three yeah. quarters away through the and, mm-hmm. and they're just like following it like there's this endless tracking shot and and of course it's it's down the LA spillway, which is how you know it was a film shot in the eighties because every single film shot in the nineteen eighties <laughs> had a had a se- sequence in the LA River spillway. And and I know I had seen that before, or maybe I'm just dreaming that, you know, because I can't imagine where I saw this before. But I I think I saw that clip. Yeah, well, there, there's something to that. I mean that that whole thing where people have imagined that there was this genie movie starring Sinbad, but it, <laughs> there was actually this genie movie starring Shaquille O'Neal called Kazam. Um, but there 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 was something to it. it, it there there are so many things in this movie that look like something that somebody else did for five bucks and a pack of gum. Um, the best information, they're, they're really, the, 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 the dramaturgical problem with, with this subgenre of movies is that like uh, people like Neil Breen, who is a real estate investor who sinks his playing around money into making horrible movies like Fateful Findings, various others that, that you've, you know, seen, um, MST three K riff tracks, the flop house cover. Um, there, there is, there's painfully little information about this guy, but what it, what it seems like is, is he is somebody who has not, not, well, he's not sinking a lot of money into these obviously, uh, because it, it's basically a, a post-apocalyptic star Wars ripoff with skateboards and samurai swords and stuff that you find in a pawn shop. Um, but there's there there is there is there is some uh need for this story to be told by this guy um because as terrible as the movie is you you cannot fault it for having uh a passion um <laughs> Annette, uh you uh you you watch uh you watch a a show called Winona Earp where a lot of people um you know meet violent ends uh, people meet violent ends um, in, in this movie, uh, uh, I, I, I wonder, I wonder how you feel about the, um, well, we call it graphic violence, uh, but it's basically violence that happens on screen and it's not even terribly, um, uh, convincing, uh, you know, what, how, how did it captivate you as an action adventure epic? Well, I've definitely never seen it before this viewing. So coming into it new, and I, I am someone who tends to just go and like things instead of hating things. I'm not much of a hater. This, this is stretching me a little bit because it's like so bad. It's almost too bad to even be good, bad mm. and crazy. But yeah, so the violence in it is, uh, yeah, gratuitous and gory. But yeah, you can't you can't even compare it to Winona Earp because Winona Earp is a lot about girl power. Right. This movie is the opposite of girl power. No, so this, um, this movie is about chick power. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> not, not girl power. There, there were some. Yes, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Chick power. As long as they do, they do do some good kicking and fight a little bit. But the, in, I, no clothing. Yeah, I. <laughs> Didn't spend a lot of money on wardrobe. They saved a lot there. I well, I, I actually, I, I want to say that they probably spent more on the like the leather onesie type things mm-hmm. uh, from from Zardoz, but skimpier. That they put a bunch of these women in. <laughs> um, that you know, it's a post apocalypse. Food is scarce. Water is scarce. Leather is scarce. 
Um, so, you know, use as little of it as possible. They did find enough to put some fringe on things, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's always leather for fringe. I want to say one thing about the violence of this movie, though, which is weird, is is that it it creeps up on you because they do this thing that they do that you see a lot in low budget films, which is where like someone will come up with a katana and make a swipe at the person's face and then they'll cut (laughs) to the person like holding their hand with blood pulling down. You know, they they Mm -hmm. didn't they, they had no way to like actually do the effect of the knife entering flesh you know and there's right. so there's a lot of that and you feel you kind of got a, a feeling for that and then suddenly they had a scene where like a guy got ran over by the car uh-huh and like mm-hmm. his head exploded <laughs> yeah it was like uh, that came out of nowhere and i'm like what the hell did it look like a balloon full of blood or something there's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of uh head-based violence where mm-hmm. heads get cut off it cuts away, and then you see what is very clearly a, a mannequin head with a crappy wig uh, from a distance. <laughs> they don't just cut. They cut really far back because they think that's going to somehow make it look better instead of make it look like three people in the otherwise completely deserted L.A. spillway um, where they shot grease, by the way, um, <laughs> after they've run a dude's head over the car. Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't do a lot to, to to add to the effect. Cicero, do you have any general thoughts before we we dig into whatever um, this was? I, I, apparently, I I had more thoughts about this film than the director did. I look forward to the true last dance of the devils directed, written, <laughs> produced and photographed by Cicero Holmes. Yeah, hey, you know, uh, I have I have dozens of dollars too that I can use on a budget. So why not? Uh, I enjoyed uh, like random bits of oatmeal coming out of people's arms and legs as <laughs> as things were like uh, being decapitated. Yeah, like was was it, that was that a result of of the 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 nuclear post apocalypse that it, people it must, start yes. start bleeding as well as oozing? Yes. Yeah, that must have been it. it. You know, it's the it's the hard outer shell that you must develop in uh, in the post apocalypse <laughs> that that starts to ooze as uh, as things go on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you always have to admire someone for finishing a thing that they've started. So so not only did the director and all of the actors, but so did we. So um, congratulations to all of us. We're all champions. <laughs> This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Moo. Moo is an online print and design company specializing in customizable business cards, postcards, stickers, and more for your business. You don't want to get caught out by not having a business card at that important moment. And with Moo, you can be prepared to show your creativity whenever the opportunity arrives. The quality of Moo's business cards are one of a kind. Special finishes like gold foil, raised spot gloss, and letterpress. Moo's business cards are so unique, helping your business stand out from the crowd. I have used Moo's business cards uh, for six colors and the incomparable, and I love them. They are so high quality. They are so special, and you want to get people attention if you're going to give them a business card. They've got templates now. You don't have to design your own card if you don't want to. They've got, uh, they're drawing inspiration from different trends around there. So you're going to get kind of like the latest cutting edge business card styles. Uh, Everybody's going to be very impressed. And even though business cards are the core product, they've got lots of other stuff, postcards, invitations, letterheads, stickers, flyers, all sorts of stuff for you to use promoting your brand, even quality notebooks in soft and hard 
cover. It's true. And whatever you need, Moo has you covered with their easy customization options. If you're not familiar with Moo, you can even order a free sample pack on the website to try out the different products. Couldn't be easier to use. Like I said, I use these uh, business cards myself for Six Colors and the Incomparable. I've got them in six colors. You know I do. I do. You've got six different colors of card that I chose to design for my Moo cards. They look fantastic. Go to Moo.com. That's M-O-O. So simple. Moo.com to find out more and get 15% off your order when you spend $50 or more by using the code PRINTMOO, one word, PRINTMOO, at checkout. Once again, that's the code PRINTMOO to get 15% off when you spend $50 or more at Moo.com. Thank you to Moo for their support of the incomparable. Moo, let's get physical. So uh, to so as as I, as I jump into the the basic story uh, of this and mythology, it doesn't just have a story. Not every movie has a mythology like a mythos like this yes. does. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's you know about a band of rebels uh, just trying to fight against uh, a hegemony. Um, the members of the cast that I think are important to point out, we'll probably point out a couple others cause there are a couple of bizarre, um, out of nowhere people with two lines that I guess, you know, are friends of the guy that made it. Um, Joe Estevez, as I mentioned as Holy Father Hightower Bell, um, who yes. represents something, something he, he's supposed to be like the embodiment of the the falsehoods of religion and the falsehoods of corporations running everything this is something else that you find in this post-apocalyptic shot for nothing genre um the 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 bell name probably some sort of a reference to at&t um because there was that whole baby bell (laughs) thing and all that kind of stuff um another uh, he's a mainstay of the vhs genre I, i have i have when i say i have friends who've been in films with joe estevez i'm not kidding and I'm not really bragging um, because they they mostly they mostly w- would say, oh, yeah, I took a hundred bucks to do that movie that got sold to Eastern European TV so that I could say that I was in a movie with Joe Estevez and, and um, uh, Michael uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs, Michael. Um, oh, um, Michael uh, Madsen. Uh, Michael Madsen. Yeah. 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 Michael, Michael, Michael Madsen, Madsen and Joe Estevez these days are, are, are making the equivalent of these, uh, you know, late 80s, mid 90s, zero budget VHS things. Um, Joining Mr. Estevez in that world, Julie Strain, really um, the Catherine Hepburn of straight to VHS (laughs) action movies. Um, She's playing Destinella. Um, What a name. Uh, first of all, um, very subtle, uh, very much kind of, kind of the princess Leia type to Hightower Bell's, uh, amalgamation of Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine. All of this is very transparent, by the way. I'm not, I'm not stretching to try to find something relatable. That's very much, that's the template this guy ran from. I mean, right. right? Um, Mm -hmm. we have, uh, Jerry Gray, uh, I, who seems like just some Southern California guy, uh, as Dare Rockforth who is kind of your Obi-Wan Kenobi and Han Solo all in one person because there are only so many people that you want to pay on a movie like right. this. Uh, Andrew Reed as Scott Noname, um, otherwise pronounced no name. And we'll, we'll get into why uh, he, he, he later, he later gains a true name, a better yes, name. Uh, this is our hero of legend. This is our, this is our, this is our final hope. This is our Luke Skywalker. This is the guy he's going to save us. Um, and, uh, Brittany Westland 
as uh, someone who who begins as nameless woman, um, and we'll 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 get into what she's later known as, um, and she is. Um, I want to make sure that I'm not crossing any lines here. Would it be fair to say that she is a jiggly leather clad R2D2 C3PO amalgamation? Yes, yeah, there so, are. Yes, there is um, a, a lady S machina. Yeah, she does. She, she, yeah. she does not say much. She's no. very helpful. She is very. Yes. She's very helpful and eager to help. I think. Yeah, I think she, is a, she knows how. She knows how to point. She does. She yeah. does. Um, Sometimes open doors and press buttons too. Don't forget about those. Yes. Oh yeah, that's true. That is true. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, one one can't forget the deeply meaningful, most romantic moment in the movie where she pushes the ignition button on a motorcycle. Uh, and it just it means so much, guys, uh, <laughs> because this is a movie of text and no subtext. So the setup of the movie as as I, I, I started to transcribe this and I found myself as I did often while watching the movie going, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> I. The, the gist is that after the final nuclear war, because apparently one nuclear war wasn't enough, America became a wasteland ruled by Holy Father Hightower Bell, who controls access to freshwater, edible food and steel horses, steel horses. This is this is right. another mythos thing, otherwise mm-hmm. known as motorcycles. Um, cars exist, but but to to truly be a great man of this time, you must own a steel horse Um so either you join his sacred Knights of Compliance, otherwise known as Sith Lords, um, right. <laughs> or you live on your own outside the limits of what is called the Lord's Dominion of Lost Angels, which looks a lot like yes. Los Angeles, as, as mentioned by John. Looks a lot like Los Angeles. Strangely Definitely. not changed very much uh, from a nuclear war. Um, and the, the elite guards of the Sacred Knights, this is important later, are called incorporals, again, going with... The very subtle uh, anti-corporate theme, um, and we, we can uh, we can I, I think honestly we, we can we can jump in and I'll I'll put in some some more of the backstory as we get to it because I'm starting to bore myself into a nap. Um, so let's start let's start with the first scene, which isn't really so much a scene as as I mentioned a montage of stuff that is seen later in the movie, which kind of makes watching the rest of the movie. Uh, okay. Well, I've seen it. I'm done. Pointless. Pointless. Let's just say it was pointless. Uh, well, what, what stuck <laughs> out to you the most? The, the first thing is that we talk about the, the fact that Los Angeles is, looks a lot like Los Angeles, but maybe Los Angeles before the apocalypse looked amazing. <laughs> and now it just looks like Los Angeles. Or are we currently living in the apocalypse now? Maybe we are living in the apocalypse yeah. of the devils. Yeah. The Apocalypse, devil's yes. apocalypse. Yes. The devil's apocalypse. Everything, everything gets, um, gets weirdly. Why, why would it be weirdly contradictory? Because it starts out, uh, uh, contradictory in terms of the, the way that he sets up who's good and who's bad and what's this and what's that. Um, I, I should mention actually, because otherwise it will get confusing is that the, the devil's apostrophe S of the title uh, refers to uh, the this um, this band of suspiciously Jedi Knight like people um, that are the Devil's Doers. But if you called it Last Dance of the Devil's Doers, that would be weird, right? Because <laughs> the title he ended up with was fine. Like there's nothing wrong with it. Um, 
so, so, so. Are you sure? I, I guess every time I look at it, I'm looking for that missing word. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it bothers me. But maybe, 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 maybe you can tell by the number of times I've brought it up. Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it, when you see the titles come up, they're in that kind of weird, you know, that that late uh, 70s PBS uh, compositor that would like mm-hmm, wiggle right. the words in, you know, like the words would come in and like wiggle like they were on a, uh, you know, a, a, some sort of a, a, you know, a sine wave or something that they'd it, re- it, resolve it, it, into this. It looks and, silly and, or and, goofy, but he's he's thinking it looks really badass. Right. And, and I kind mm-hmm. of wondered whether or not they had that equipment for a day and they couldn't like retype anything. <laughs> so if he may, if he if he put in an apostrophe here or there, you know who knows. But um, but you know what what I love about the opening sequence is the way that they do the nuclear war because basically they they're just kind of like walking down some street in, in the city. Uh, again, I'm assuming it's L.A., but but I, I that's only because I recognize the spillway afterwards. And then suddenly they they just, they just like blow out the film, like to or, or the videotape. Let's be real; they blow out the videotape <laughs> to to like to just pure white. And then for the next like thirty seconds, everything's through a red filter. Yeah, and then they just forget that they just like give up on that. You know, they they figure eh, we're not going to do this the whole film. <laughs> that, that's Someone the biggest. Bought- that's the biggest thematic choice made is is picking up and then completely dropping thematic choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's important for about five minutes in this movie. <laughs> Some somebody lost that red filter on the second page <laughs> and we couldn't find it so they just well, this this okay this this brings up something i was going to bring up later but i think i should bring up now it's we'll we'll address it again when we get to it but we have multiple scenes with with hightower bell and and, and miss destinella uh who sounds like a very classy stripper um and dresses like a very classy stripper she Absolutely. matches all of the very classy stripper needs um uh, multiple scenes with them and then when we get to the big climactic scene at the end which we get parts of in this intro montage yes correct me if i'm wrong but that looks like a totally different woman <laughs> uh yeah that, that could have happened I, actually you know what uh, yes i was doing some research and i saw that uh what happened was uh the original actor uh fell down a flight of stairs and twisted her ankle too bad in the uh in in the last run so she couldn't be i think she actually broke it and was in a cast and she couldn't actually be on the set so they just uh, i think they grabbed the page that that only kind of looked like her yeah well, i think i think that they she never was like showed shorter. directly the face right. yeah. yeah there's so much there's so much that is from a distance and yes. i i don't mm-hmm. i don't know that they expect us to know the sound of her voice terribly well so it could have been her dubbing in the lines later or something again this is another thing in the vhs world like this movie very well could have been shot like, there, there's one called dangerous men that literally took 24 years to complete that is <laughs> abominably bad. I'm, and and uh, I, I watched it when, when I worked for the Alamo Draft House and we were looking to pick it up and they, they did pick it up years later. Um, but at one point, the main female character in the movie is just arrested and and like removed from the story for the last third of the movie for no discernible reason other than apparently the story was that she just left. She just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and now she's she's like a grief counselor in the greater L.A. area. 
Um, trying to puzzle out the stories behind the story of making something like this is, uh, I, I think, arguably more entertaining than the movie itself. Well, what's interesting to me about this is like you have Estevez and you have Julie Strain, who's who's kind of a big get for a film of of this budget, to be honest, uh, in in this in this film. And then all these kind of background characters come and go. Typically, no names, maybe no dialogue, or if they have dialogue, you get the feeling that they're just saying something because the director said, do crowd noises. And in some ways, they're the most interesting guys to me because, like, there's all those women in that that one scene walking through the background of Hightower's uh, lair, and and they just look like they're out clubbing, you know, for the night. They're just like they must have been some some women that they just picked up. Said, "Here's five bucks. Come walk through our set." It could also be that they just brought a v- brought their VHS camera to. I mean, because this stuff this was shot on tape, obviously. Right. Uh, it right. wasn't just made for tape. It was made on tape they probably just took the camera to an s to snm night at some club and none of those people know that they're in a movie well the other way you know it's an 80s film is when there are just uh completely superfluous punks in the background and there's plenty of those <laughs> in this film there there are plenty of them uh now the the people who who are outside of lost angels are referred to as outtowners uh, something that they they it's like over pronouncing made up words in fantasy. Um, yes. They make a big point of this the first couple of times. And then like so much in this movie, they just kind of forget about it. And who cares? Um, I, you knew it. Yeah. So, so the, the, the devil's doers have been uh, protecting these people like a like a roving uh, band of bikers. But they're they're not bikers. They they believe in a higher cause. They believe four wheels are greater than two. Um, they, uh, they, they truly aspire to, to be, uh, lords of the board and sword. Um, they, they, they master the, they don't even explicitly describe it as an art, but they kind of set it up as its own sort of pseudo martial art of integrating the use of a skateboard and a, and a samurai sword. Um, again, a, a fighting style born in a pawn shop. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, there, there is, there is this, um, we'll, we'll get to the, the big, uh, climactic, uh, skateboard riding joust slash decapitation scene. Uh, yes. that's, that's a whole thing with them. Uh, but the other thing is learning to fight with your skateboard and not break mm-hmm. your skateboard. Um, like it is this truly holy object because food, water, scarce skateboards also scarce. That's um, right. So yeah. their uh, their their Jedi robes, as it were, uh, leather trench coats. Um, but because of the budget of this movie, we 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 don't really see but uh, one or two of these guys. Um, and the the first yeah. one being Dare Rockforth, a name out of Johnny Quest. Yes. Um, our our mentor slash scoundrel slash guy who's in the movie for half an hour. Um, <laughs> He remains in hiding, and the the first promising apprentice in years has appeared, and that is Scott Noname. Uh, mm-hmm. What a what a what a what a wonderful wonderful name! Um, and uh, yeah. and we we begin the movie with the leader of the Outtowners, Destinella, uh, trapped by Hightower Bell in in his uh, in his in his in his lair, which seems like 
um, a bunch of uh, pieces of cardboard pasted together to block out the light <laughs> in an otherwise normal room. In the longest scene. The longest in, scene of all time. In, in, so in, in, long. recorded, in recorded history. So, so you know what the great thing about this scene was? That I spent the entire damn thing confused. Because <laughs> the scene before that, Joe Estevez is narrating the scene. It's the only time he does anything, right? Like, it's the only time he actually narrates anything. But he's narrating it, and he sounds just like Martin Sheen. He sounds just like Martin Sheen, but with literally none of the talent. Right. Absolutely then, none of the talent. We, we, open, it, we open on him facing the camera, walking toward the camera. Then we cut to all of the footage as he is narrating it. And it's like he's right. walking down the hall to this next scene. Yes. And, and so it's like one continuous longest most ponderous monologue of all time and 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 so that entire time and into the scene i'm like is that martin sheen did he is he is he on like quaaludes is president bartlett okay right what is (laughs) what is happening (laughs) and and it was about halfway through this scene which it's it's seriously like nine or ten minutes uh of them just blabbering uh, or, or actually droning out in, in this crazy monotone that I realized, oh, wait a minute, that's not Martin Sheen. <laughs> oh, it's Martin Sheen's brother. It's it's the Charlie Sheen to Emilio Estevez. Mm-hmm. Joe Estevez. <laughs> oh, man, he's he's got gopher blood. Uh, so <laughs> instead of tiger blood. <laughs> you know the 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 other thing about it is <laughs> Joe Estevez, bless his heart, he's got to be like five six five seven or something. Like that Julie Strain is like over six feet tall, and <laughs> and he's and he's in this holding cell. He's he's wearing a, a you know a a, a a clerical collar, you know, and and this big like velour uh, cape to try and make himself imposing. He, he looks they, like let's let's say it. He looks like a Power Rangers villain. Right, right, and he's but 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 he, but they didn't give him platform shoes, and and they have uh, Julie Strange just standing there, towering over him. She she looks so bored in this scene, so completely un un uh, intimidated in any way. He he does this thing with his hand that it's like it's supposed to be his Jedi mind powers or Jedi push force push <laughs> kind of a thing, but. Julie didn't get the note that she was supposed to be scared of it, but it's like, that's how he's holding her in thrall, but it's not doing anything. And so instead he's this, he's this short man in a, in, in a, in a weird, uh, uh, villain costume, uh, being towered over by uh, a woman who doesn't seem like she's remotely threatened at all. I, I almost felt like it was supposed to be super sexy, but not it did it wasn't at all. No but, but nobody involved seems, was aware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the whole setup, you've got her basically tied up in this super sexy outfit. He's in these fancy robes that are supposed to be imposing and gonna be an earth roll, gonna like seduce her. And then all he does is talk and talk and talk and you're yeah, it was very long, very tiring. Yeah. And I fell asleep at that point. Yeah, it was it was it was going back over and back over how she was his prisoner and how uh finally the outtowners would believe it was it was a bunch of mythos mm-hmm. that like I said, like they just never use this stuff again. Um yes. it's like setting up something that never happens. Uh it's like, oh, just wait until you get to this thing. And then it's it skipped and it's never even referred to again. 
Um, I felt like it's almost like you had this really great setup and idea and mythos and you just had to make sure it got in the movie, but you've never actually made a movie before and know nothing about pacing yeah. or drama. And you just like, uh, all I, the, over the place. this was, this is something that I, 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 I mentioned to the group of you when I was convincing you, no, I promise it's terrible. We'll have fun talking about it. It is terrible, <laughs> but it is, it is like a movie was scripted by that, that waiter, uh, at the resort in Dirty Dancing, who tells Baby that she really should read Atlas Shrugged, um, and 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 give Ayn Rand, uh, you know, some thought, uh, and and if if she were if she were a real uh, you know thought provoking person, you know, she would debate him. You coward. Um, it 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 feels like that made film. Okay, so longest scene of all time. Um, we finally finally meet our hero of legend, the Great One. Mm. He's so charismatic, right? He's 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 about the most charismatic thing in <laughs> cinematic history. Uh, Scott Noname uh, and and now begins um, the the really problematic uh, stuff when it comes to uh, to to uh, gender and sexuality in this movie. He's he's dressed as a woman um, under a veil uh, and what what looks like uh, the kinds of things you, you buy at like the, the earthbound trading company to pin over your windows uh, when you discover marijuana in college. Um, and he's just draped under this stuff, uh, because apparently, you know, if, if you, if you have not, if you have not, uh, submitted, if you've not conformed, uh, then you're, you're the number one target and he's been, he's been disguised this way. Uh, it's not explained why he's disguised this way. Um, and he's, he's at a scrap market and this scrap market, uh, basically looks like somebody emptied a garbage can into a bunch of boxes and put them on tables. And that's a scrap market. Um, so uh, we 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 have we have uh, once again the magical mellifluous tones of of Joe Estevez narrating uh, what is going on on screen instead of the movie actually telling us. And uh, and suddenly this group of incorporals arrive in their very intimidating silver spray painted hockey masks, um, <laughs> and uh, and they just start. Um, Stealing a bunch of garbage, uh, and uh, and 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 then and then the one remaining hero, Dare Rockforth, uh, we are told again over voiceover as it is happening, uh, comes in to rescue them and save the day uh, by sailing in on a skateboard and decapitating uh, these guys in the in the patented Derek Stevens manner of zooming back out to mannequin heads with bad wigs on. Um, <laughs> so, so how do we, how do we feel about the introduction of our, of our great fabled hero and his, his dear, his dear, uh, slightly half middle-aged mentor? Frankly, after the last scene, cause it was so long, I was relieved there was finally some action. So coming in on that skateboard and seeing the heads come off, even it was terrible. Uh, I was actually a little excited just yeah just it's finally we're getting some movement here to to call this an action scene is is generous indeed i know uh, it's I probably just in contrast to the nothing that happened last you know for the last 10 minutes but uh john uh how how did how did how did you feel about the the actual arc of the action yeah for for most of this film there's very little in the way of um 
uh, of foley art or or music or anything but for some reason when they introduced him they they played that that one cheesy library music piece <laughs> that's supposed to like play up the ridiculousness of this guy being dressed up like a woman and and i thought that was it was kind of remarkable just simply because that was the one i mean they had music over the credits and and, and stuff but, the, but this is like the one place where they actually uh, spraying for like paid paid five bucks to some uh library to get get him in i, I want to say that you you mentioned all the junk on the table what i liked about that was you could see like all kinds of 80s crap on that table there was like there was like a broken uh speak and spell and there was like <laughs> there was like the 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 motherboard from an old like commodore uh, you know, for the, it it was like if if you I, I wish uh, I had the time to stop and like pick over that you know uh, and, and and really look at it because I I have a feeling I could have identified a few more uh, bits and pieces from my childhood there. So instead of watching the movie, you were shopping. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> I, I I said that it looked like somebody emptied out a garbage can, but it could very well have just been somebody emptying out their garage. Um, just, oh, hey, here's that speaking spell I don't need. Oh, here's that Commodore that I said I was going to fix last month. Uh, you know, here, we, we need, we need stuff. Just grab, grab a few boxes of things from the garage. Right. Whenever you needed technology in those days, what they would do is they would just like take the bare circuit boards and, 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 and strew them about because I guess in the future, people can't pay for how chassis for their electronics anymore. <laughs> Yeah, the whole notion of scarcity is something that I – okay, to say that I have a, a problem with the logic of one element of the movie is uh, understating things. <laughs> <laughs> but um, – Just one. What people would use that for, I just don't understand. Is it is it is it supposed to be an item of status? Is it just a matter of having stuff – uh, and feeling good about it is everybody in the rolling around a, a grocery store cart kind of headspace. I don't know. Yeah, you've got you've got your speak and smell as as the new modern art. So you put it on your wall. People look at it, but they still have power. That was very confusing to me. Sometimes that you had power. Sometimes you have gas. Sometimes you have all this stuff that seems to work. But in a post apocalyptic world, it but that's probably being too logical. So we uh, we have we have our our hero saved by his hero mentor uh and the the hero mentor uh takes scott and these random women we should mention uh the 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 woman who has no name who isn't even referred to as anything other than just somebody in a scene she's introduced here uh she um she hands scott uh, a stick to try to fight off the incorporals uh which is is the first reveal of of his uh, of his fighting ability being minimal uh, and and uh, and underwhelming. Um, so all of these people are collected up by by Dare Rockforth, um, which is a great name for a band and not a great name for a character in a movie. Uh, I, I I really I really like the uh, the like three quarter time slow mo uh, bionic uh, the bionic man six million dollar man style. Where they they slowed it down so he could they could show you that uh, that Nonami had skills. That was that was great. He he that had, was well great. he he had skills, but not 
not in the actual fighting way. He, he, <laughs> he saw that there was a threat. He detected that there was a threat. He had that yes. bionic ability. But when it came to actually responding to it, you just watched him get walloped in the face in slow yes. motion. Yes, uh, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, the, the, the beautiful thing is we now know exactly where the entire budget went, uh, <laughs> which was that at the time, very, I, I guess, expensive effect to pull off. I don't know. We can probably consult Joe Steele uh, as to as to whether in the history of special effects, that was actually a big deal. Um, so uh, so so Dare Rockforth takes them back to his hideout. Uh, and we get once another, just again, an exposition dump. We as the audience, we already know how all this stuff works. And Dare Rockforth takes us back through it again uh, about how when when uh, when when the devil's doers, when when a, a member of their number uh, truly masters the board and the sword, they become what is called a true lord and everything gets yet more Dr. Susie. Um, and I'm waiting for truffle of trees to sprout up and the Lorax to <laughs> chime in. Um, and then, and then, and then if that weren't enough, uh, he goes into the concept of one having a true name. Um, and he's, he's saying this as, um, as subtextually as possible to a guy whose last name is no name, uh, or Mm -hmm. no name. Um, get a true name. Yeah. You get a true name and, (laughs) and you also will eventually find a true love, and it's kind of alluded to uh, that, you know, it's written in the stars and it's the way that things are and so on and blah, 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 blah. And so it's it's implied that our hero is 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 destined for someone, someone uh, suspiciously like Destinella. Um, and it's it's very boring and not romantic and not interesting. And, um, so I, I get, how, how do we, how do we feel about our our latest scene full of exposition? Yeah, there was exposition in the same way there is exposition in a video game where is, there were just words that, uh, uh, individually were English, but collectively (laughs) were nonsense. Um, so yeah, we, I mean, we heard a lot of things, but all I know is that, uh, when when you master the board and the sword, you become a true lord. So uh, that's that's where I was. That's John, where I was. I John, was getting ready for a kickflip. John, do John, do you feel like you can competently, um, you know, perform the sacred art of the devil's doers? Uh, well, you know, the, the I, sacred I, art of I, skateboard I, sword jousting. Uh, I I did have a skateboard back in the in in the the eighties as a as a as a teenager. I had one of those. Like remember how skateboards used to be long and banana shaped back then? Uh-huh. Uh, oh, yeah. I had one of those, and I, and I lent it to a friend of mine. The very first time he got on it, he fell off it. It rolled off on, into the street and got ran over by a car. And mm-hmm. and and that was like you know that was my the end of my skateboard career. But um, but I do like the fact that just like in the earlier scene with the where the, you just had these people walking through the background scene who didn't actually seem to be actors there they <laughs> they they rounded out all these um you, you know these out out towners with the um 
with 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 a bunch of actual skateboarders mm-hmm. you know obviously just kids that were down at the skateboard park yeah. and and they just like kind of like, were, they, they, like how they went to snm night earlier right in the movie. And, mm-hmm. and and the trouble the trouble is these kids are pretty good they're just like screwing around in the background but they're actually pulling off some some decent tricks and at least they look no look like they know what they're doing on the skateboard which seems like a really bad choice to make when you're when your uh lead actors are so uncomfortable on these things <laughs> Mm-hmm. especially especially for dare because he is supposed to be the master teaching the apprentice you could you know make an argument that maybe scott wasn't supposed to be as good at first but yeah no you're you've got this master who's a little wobbly i i think i could skateboard better than he could and that's yeah there, there's a suspicious amount when when dare is in action as it were uh suspiciously a lot of those shots are just close-ups of his face or a sword that's right and <laughs> or, or his feet and well he's got that that long lion's mane of hair that <laughs> lo- i mean it's no close. offense no offense to the great jerry gray who i've never heard of before or since but maybe that's not his real hair and they just took that giant wig and stuck it on somebody else for the long shots of dare mm-hmm. sailing uh sailing across uh you know uh, uh a piece of of pavement on a skateboard how how, how dare you <laughs> there's a lot of weird cutting in this sequence because we do have there's a lot the, of weird cutting clo- in this movie to be fair well we have but, but there's like it keeps going between sort of close-ups of of the of the main characters to these skateboarders that like there's there's this one shot that is just like a straight up skateboard park where they must have just like got given the kids like goggles and stuff to wear to make them look vaguely post-apocalyptic and then there's like these stupid arty shots like where they strap a camera to the skateboard and just roll it down you know for a while and and so you got all this stuff going on and it's just cut 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 and like then and 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 i i suppose this is what passes for a montage because we don't really know how much time has passed in this training sequence uh and 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 it keeps getting punctuated by dare's little like like little bits of wisdom about you know how you know you you roll or life rolls you well the, the <laughs> yes that's right that was a great line cool. the funny thing that is was that was actually mo- one of the best lines in the movie to <laughs> <Yeah>. be <fair. laughs> so the 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 funny thing is that even if it was a, it was cut like it was a montage but they were wearing the same clothes the entire time so it was the same time of day like uh-huh. everything <laughs> So everything was everything was exactly the same. Yeah, he he effectively gets his dr- Jedi training by Yoda. Okay, so it's Obi Wan Kenobi, Han Solo, and Yoda. I'm Yoda, now realizing right. he gets right. all of that training in in not not just one afternoon, but like half an hour in an yes. afternoon uh, yes. while hanging out at a skate park. Uh, and and conspicuously, we've been told there aren't any men left in the in the uh, among the outtowners. But when they went to the skate park, it seemed like there it was nothing but dudes. It's just nothing like nothing but guys. Suspicious lack of female skateboarders. Um, yes. I how do so so how do we feel? How do we feel about uh, you know we talked about mythos. How do we feel about the 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 growing out of the mythos of of finding your true name uh, and uh, and finding one's true love and other weirdly patriarchal kinds of things that are like in a post apocalypse 
the first thing that you must reclaim is misogyny. Um, that is that right. Is, well, it, it is very important. That is, that is the order of things. Why so, else would you have an apocalypse? Right. Right. If not to <laughs> Just ooh, rebuild sick, the world. Sick burn and good point at the same time in it. <laughs> <laughs> so we can get our swords out and take over the patriarchy That's again. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh boy, but gosh, a woman with a sword. What uh, what kind of chaos would that would that create? Yeah, but interestingly, you have the leader of of them being Destinella, but then she's immediately captured because you cannot have yeah woman in charge of this society. Yeah, we we refine. We never see her pre capture. Uh, and no, and of course no, there's a twist. Her empowered. There's there's a twist that I did not see coming that that we will get to that that makes all of this much worse. Um, <laughs> now, so so we we've done we've done more exposition dumping. We've done the uh, incredibly epic length training sequence that seems to happen in the span of an afternoon. Um, and now we're, we're back in our favorite place. Uh, we're back in the holding cell. Uh, and this is not the first time, uh, this is not the, the, the last time rather that we will be back in the holding cell, uh, with Hightower Bell and Destinella. And, um, we, we basically get a point by point refutation of the philosophy that was mentioned in the scene before. And that's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That's basically the only thing that happens in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he he instinctively knew that this was happening, that that exposition was happening someplace else. So he had to. Because he can it. see all. He can see all he and can know see all. all. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You didn't realize that this movie was also a propaganda film. So when <laughs> when you heard uh, this these countering facts. He also went to uh, s- scream that that propaganda to the to the rest of the world and the audience. It's really it dis- great. It's really disconcerting hearing the voice of Martin Sheen just yes. shouting and <laughs> shouting in a woman's face. Um, yes, it's just it's I uh, yeah. Uh, and any other thoughts, feelings about this before we move on? I was I was really um, kind of excited to see that they didn't. Um, cut out the fact that Joe Estevez sneezed in her face <laughs> in the middle of the scene. Like, like uh, you know, I don't know if that was. We talk well, about tr- him being he, a he terrible tried, actor. Well, he, he he tried to cover it like he was spitting in her face. Um, right, but yes. it was very it was very clearly like he did not take yes. a Sudafed that morning. Right, right. And you can tell it wasn't planned because if you see Julie Stain's face when that happens. She, she was a little Julie, uh, Julie Strain, but, strain, but she was. Sorry, but now she was she Julie was Stain. Strained. She was Julie. Yes, yes, she, she was, was Julie Stain by Joe Stevens. Sickness. Maybe she didn't make the those like she didn't fall down a stair. She was actually just sick from getting sneezed at. Uh maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, so we yeah. we leave we leave the scene. We assume, hey, at least things happen when we cut away from from that. Um, but we basically get more of the training scene and it, it, it almost <laughs> looks like they just they took half of the kind of stuff that that John was saying in the, in the montage that isn't quite a montage and just kind of put it here. And it, <laughs> it's like they're trying to pad something out from 15 minutes of an idea that somebody had when they got high into <laughs> something that could be considered a movie. Um, yes, while they're high. Is is there anything anybody picked up that was actually different in the scene uh, as opposed to previous? 
well, this this scene did ha- show off a, uh, more of the the women uh, that were here, uh, who who unfortunately don't get to say much of anything. They just kind of say, they 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 stand there, you know, looking looking on while uh, while the training goes on, and they're all like backs up against like the complex that's supposed to be, I guess, the hideout. But mm-hmm. it looks like um, you know, it looks like I, I'm guessing it must have been like one of those outdoor. Uh, you know storage locker complexes um yeah i I'm, I'm guessing that's what it was there was a lot of there was a lot of graffiti it yeah. was it was effectively a, co- a collection of of whatever other outdoor locations they could shoot for free or while nobody was around <laughs> the 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 role of the the women who weren't really saying much or anything or or saying anything that was intelligible um where <laughs> where it, it was it was like they existed to uh, like in Greece, a callback to Greece in the LA spillway, <laughs> you know, you have the, you have the handkerchief girl starting the drag race. They're, they're basically mm-hmm. the handkerchief girl for the, for the sword joust by holding the sword aloft, like some low rent He-Man knockoff and then mm-hmm. handing it to, to, to the, the, the guy on the skateboard already on the skateboard. And then without seeing him actually push himself off, because of the way this is cut, um, and I can't believe that I'm, I'm I'm trying to find logic in this. I don't know if the implication <laughs> is that they just start moving of their own free will, or if the women push them, like <laughs> like like a parent pushing a kid on a bike to get them going. I I, I I'm I'm so bored at this point that I I'm trying to find something that uh, that isn't yeah. driving me insane. I'm trying to find reason where there is none. Right. Well, well, the one thing I want to point out is the women aren't wearing much, but what little they have has these amazing shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and, and and like about four or five of them have really blown out hair. So whatever else is happening in the uh, apocalypse, they still have hair dryers. And except curlers. for yeah, except for the one, the one you know, spiky haired mohawk punk girl. You know that they always had to have one of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She and she literally never says anything. She's literally yeah. Yeah. there to look pretty. Yeah, I yeah. think I think my favorite part was when they had like the women sort of all lined up and he's like snaking between them. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. yeah, their hair is blowing. But I'm I'm like I you never quite see the face, so this is definitely a double because I'm pretty sure the actor <laughs> did not have the skateboarding skills. He probably would have actually decapitated someone if he had. <laughs> I that takes a lot yeah. of trust and they yes. literally just met this guy but <laughs> I mean it's such a desolate post-apocalypse populated by a bunch of people in a place that looks like it still has sanitation services um yeah. like nobody looks terribly dirty uh for it no. to be a horrible uh trash strewn apocalypse <laughs> um so all right so we we we've we've gone back to the training uh, because we're 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 leading up to a big climactic final battle that truly redefines final battles uh, <laughs> in in a lot of ways, and we we cut back to our favorite place uh, as as we all know our favorite place in the universe uh, the the cardboard plated cell uh, where um, uh, Joe Estevez is sneezing on Julie Strain <laughs> and and so th- this is where things take a turn. This is where things take a slight turn that I didn't really realize was a turn until what happens later, where Belle is once again trying to just blather in her face and convince her of something. And 
I thought she was uh, she was trying to play along to gain his confidence and escape or something Princess Leia like. Um, but it seems that what actually starts happening is she she either descends into Stockholm syndrome or even worse is actually is actually into what he's saying about the roles of men and women and the the importance of of conforming and and how you must comply and submit and all this other stuff. Um, I, I, am I alone? Did, did anybody else, Mm -hmm. uh, was anybody else confused by what they were trying to convince us they were doing here? I think it was this point where I was starting to be confused about who was actually the hero of the movie. Was it supposed to be, I'm like, I don't get it. I thought we were supposed to have them swoop in and rescue her. And, you know, so it's going to be Darren Scott. We're going to see this happen. And then I'm going, wait a minute. Does the filmmaker think the hero is actually this holy father and I'm like, no, but it can't. I was just confused. It didn't seemed really out of sync with what we just saw in the training and everything. I, for one was not confused. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so proud of you. You can explain yes. it to me. Yes. Destinella realized at the end that she wouldn't have been captured if she was working with uh, high father, high tower. If she was working with Hightower Bell, she would be on the outside of that cardboard cage and not on the inside. And she realized that the truth was staring her in the face and sneezing in her face all along. So you're saying you're saying that this was a Melania Trump situation? Absolutely. 100 percent. Okay. In fact, I think Melania watched this film before she said yes. Yeah, she's she's out there in, in Estonia. She's from Estonia. Or, yes. or, or uh, okay, yeah, she's she's out there watching this on Eastern European TV and going, I see, I finally see, <laughs> I understand the the shape of my future life. Mm-hmm. Um, so so she's she she I, yeah, in the most confusing scene of the movie yet, um, because I I just think that what they were going for, as incredibly didactic and thick headed as it is, they managed they managed to not be uh, like beating your head over it with allegory the way that they had so far. And if there's one thing that, uh, that Derek had been doing right, it was that uh, mm-hmm. he was, he was at least consistent on that front. Yeah. Um. So, so next, Oh no, what happens? But the silver hockey mask uh, spray painted stormtroopers, <laughs> uh, they, they find, they find our one surviving true Lord, Dare Rockforth and his his still learning apprentice Scott Noname and various scantily clad shoulder padded women and they kill Dare Rockforth John no. John um I know that you got very attached to Dare Rockforth by this point <laughs> um how how do you feel about how he met his end Well you know they did that weird thing where right before his head came off. They like fro. They like put put the camera right in on his mouth, and, <laughs> and 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 he whispered something. But but God help me, I I could not catch what it was. It was so he was so hoarse and whispery. I think it was something along the line. I I what I thought he said was incomprehensible, but 
I don't know if that was it because it didn't make, didn't really make sense unless they're trying to give him some sort of a like a, a Princess Bride vibe or something like that. It was inconceivable yeah. sort of thing. But 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 I guess that would have been before this film. Uh, Annette, 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 what, let's 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 do the round. Annette, what do you think he said? Because I'm pretty sure that all four of us heard something different. <laughs> I actually i I heard incomprehensible, but I kind of thought that was the line that was in the script. But he was just supposed to say something incomprehensible and not actually say that. Because <laughs> like, that makes no sense. Oh, I did not yeah, think so that. I was like, that's, I was like, I that think it was like, say sense. something incomprehensible. And his acting skill is so great, he, he, he just said. That is next level meta analysis yeah, that I had not considered. Sorry. Cicero, Cicero yes. I mean, I, 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 to be honest, couldn't really make it out uh i i i I, what did you think that was what he said or or what did it did it come off to you as whatever he said wasn't supposed to be understood i thought i these guys they said incomprehensible i thought he said hard-boiled crawdads (laughs) uh, that makes so much more sense Cicero, you were just hungry man yeah maybe (laughs) you're just hungry and putting words in his mouth Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Uh, yeah, I was. Those pretzels were definitely making me thirsty watching this film. So uh, that could have been it. <laughs> uh, yeah, like this rosebud moment, as it were, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of like a of a of an important final word that you cut into somebody's mouth to focus on. And I, I, if it was supposed to mean something, I don't know what it was. And if they didn't get what they needed on the day. I don't know why they couldn't reshoot it because it's not like this cost much, um, <laughs> but it's it, it's I, I mean, I I don't know how anybody could have been emotionally invested in this character, um, but he had to die because that's how this kind of story works. And yes. uh, and so we we get uh, we get to uh, see his very similar to other beheading deaths. Uh, where these these anything but true lords, these incorporals, just chop his head off standing on the ground, not even standing on a skateboard. How disreputable, how yes. dishonorable, how unskilled. Um, and uh, and then they leave, and um, and it is because our true hero, the great Scott, uh, falls to his knees. And just starts screaming and wailing and making noise. And I guess right. this scares them off um, because he's just revealing himself to be so butch uh, that they don't want to mess with this guy. Um, I, how uh, do, do we feel like we have earned uh, our hero uh, being empowered by rage? I didn't feel that way until uh, Scott unscrewed Dare's skateboard wheel. And he put one around his neck. <laughs> that was that was the moment when I felt like, yeah. yeah, he was he was ready. He was ready. And and in fact, I love I love the camera direction here because we see the wheel at his chest, and then the camera pans up, and he's Scott's looking down, and then he looks up and he and he breaks the fourth wall. That's how we know he's ready. He breaks the fourth wall, not even blatantly, but just looking directly into the camera. Like, that is correct. Like he is in a music video in a parallel universe that's actually good. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. The trouble with that wheel, though, is that he wears that for the rest of the film, and that thing has a lot of heft to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So when, he, when, he's, when he's, like, skating along, it's, like, swinging all over the place. It's hitting people. It's, they definitely I think it hit him in the face a few times. Might have. <laughs> I kind of wanted him to take it off and use it as a weapon instead, but... Oh, yeah. that would be cool. Like, use it as a flail. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, like a, like a bag of quarters. Right. <laughs> so uh, to so calling back to you roll or life rolls you, uh, Scott yeah. ends the scene triumphantly by telling the, the woman with no name, they tried to roll him, but I'm going to roll them right back. What a <laughs> sick burn. And, and, and it's it's at this point that, that that catchphrase just gets used in every possible way it can. Like he just keeps hitting that roll, roll all over the time. And 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 some of it doesn't really make that much sense. I mean, there were there was a lot of lines like, you know, he said like roll me, roll you. <laughs> uh, we're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead. Yeah, that, that, that's we, at well, the end, yeah. We have we have one more little bit before we get to our climactic scene. Uh, which is Hightower Bell uh, being informed by uh, somebody in a spray painted hockey mask uh, that uh, that that they know they finally know where they are and they've got to go get them. And he he brings Destinello along with him. And we we have that scene, I guess, just because we haven't seen that room covered in cardboard enough. Um, uh, any, any thoughts on this before we, we go to the, the final battle? Because, I mean, it was a pretty unceremonious, I mean, it was maybe a couple minutes long, uh, compared to the other more interminable, uh, tours of duty that we had in this cardboard room, um, before we, we jumped <laughs> to the final battle. I thought Julie was going to like squint because this was the first time she'd been outdoors the whole film. <laughs> But no, it was it was like she had been getting exercise. She'd been taken outside for walks. Um, you know, she had that leash on the whole time. And mm-hmm. as as much of a pain as it must have been for Scott to have that skateboard wheel around his neck, uh, that that thing doesn't look like it has a whole lot of give on it. That could not have been pleasant. Mm-hmm. No, no. Uh, again, I think they they really didn't think that one through. And and uh, you know, when when Scott rolls in. And he and uh, Hightower Bell looks at him and he says, no, name. (laughs) (laughs) And Scott looks at him and says, I don't know that dude. I'm Scott. Live free. I mean, look, it doesn't it it really doesn't get any better. I mean, when when our hero claims his true name as the beginning of our climactic fight scene, it's like it's like the lightning hitting a Highlander when he holds his sword aloft after cutting someone's head off. Um, (laughs) I I, I should mention, I mean, the the Highlander uh, 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 movie had to have had something uh, to do with this movie's obsession with trench coats and swords. Mm hmm. Uh, so 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 we we start our climactic scene our hero has claimed his true name uh and he he walks up to um to hightower bell and his gang calling it a gang i'd say is probably a bit generous uh because it's like a half dozen guys a car and a motorcycle um Mm -hmm. the, the the aforementioned car uh the aforementioned single motorcycle that is seen in this movie that is apparently about how you know the the greatest men uh uh in 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 high towers orbit uh have motorcycles uh but they could only manage one um so so scott goes up to them all by himself with his 
army of shoulder pad clad women behind him. Uh, and he, he says, uh, he says, let her go to Hightower Bell and Hightower Bell in, in one of the most nuanced moments of the movie says no. Um, and, uh, um, I like at this point, I was almost surprised by that though. I thought he might just let her go. I don't know. So confused. Well, I, honestly, what what I found most surprising in that was 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 Destinella uh, turning on him because I didn't feel like we had actually had that set up. It took me a moment to go, mm-hmm. oh, that's what they were trying to do. They were setting her up as this deceitful woman. How how did you feel of course, about? Of course. How, how did you feel the the way that she the way that she announced her betrayal to Scott? Now now Scott live free. Um, well. I, you know, she was supposed to be the true love, obviously. And uh, in, in a sense, she was someone else's true love. It's it's just so, so, so bizarre. I was I was you're getting I, just as tangled in the mythos as I was where I was I know, like, I was like, I was like oh, hey, this thing that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to try to make it make sense. I know because it's it's like you're watching two different storylines, one where you've got Scott as the hero and one where you've got Hightower, Hightower as the hero. But in reality, they sort of at some point switched and they started making an entirely different movie. So I, I guess depending what movie you're watching, you'd be surprised by this or not. Um, it's not it's not the most empowered moment. I guess it is empowered. She made her choice. Really? She didn't seem he didn't seem very effective at coercing anyone. She was, you know, so I guess she made her choice. But, uh, yeah, women, I, I think the, the message was women are just unreliable and uh, they're, they're pawns in this whole scenario. Well, the real well, the real the real injustice that that, that happens, of course, is uh, Scott um, <laughs> Scott with his skateboard in his hands uh, has it ripped out of his hands by Destinella. Uh, and then she delivers this monologue that doesn't make any sense. And then she breaks the skateboard over uh, the, the fender of this car that mm-hmm. I, I, you know, subtle, subtle symbolism. Again. Well, you know, that must have been the most expensive shot of the film. <laughs> yeah, because somebody was not expecting that car to get damaged by having a skateboard <laughs> smashed on it. Um, but but then then it's 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 that they give him the option. You can walk away, just walk away, go, go and and never be seen again. Um, you know, take your shattered skateboard and you think to yourself, well, I mean, certainly we can't have our big climactic battle if our hero's skateboard is broken. But <laughs> through the magic of the movies, Scott walks back over and the nameless woman still has no name. She does get a name. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> she she takes the pieces of the skateboard and she says uh, her first comprehensible line and handing it back to him like it, it cuts. To, it cuts to him handing the pieces to her. And then she <laughs> says, Scott, and then it cuts to her handing a fully healed skateboard back to him right when she says she's like bitchin board and she's <laughs> just and then the, the board is just it's this hole again it's crazy so then we get a close-up on scott we get a close-up on her close-up on scott close-up on her and she says the true lord was inside you the whole time and i almost fell out of my chair uh, <laughs> because i i don't know what i expected um i don't know that i expected much but I expected more than that. Um, so, so this, so this, this brings us full circle back around to John's favorite shot in the movie. 
Oh right, right. The, of of the of the you, you're talking about the tracking the, shot. The the tracking shot. That's so amazing <laughs> of, of him. Just like he 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 tracks for fully. I'd say like fifteen twenty seconds in the shot. Well, the well, uh, you know. Estevez and his cronies are just standing there at the, but they're like somehow in the, in the intervening time, they, they've put about 50 yards between them so that they can have this tracking shot. <laughs> it's magical. That's never really quite explained, but, but it, it's, it's, it, it just goes on and on. And then like, it, it's, it's sort of like, remember that scene from, uh, you know, everyone remembers it from from Monty Python, the Holy Grail, yeah. where uh, Lancelot is keeps running across the field again and again and again. He finally hits <laughs> hits the first uh, the, the the first like uh, henchman, whacks his head off, you know, and it's like, and then the other ones spring into into action. But it took it took losing one before they would uh, they would do anything. So, so again, you know, we mentioned in the interminable training montage, there were apparently plenty of men around. These two were not the only grown men still <laughs> among the outtowners. Um, and so originally we saw just the women in the shoulder pads and the leather. And then suddenly it, it looks like they emptied out the skate park. And yeah. um, we have a whole maybe 15 to 20 people um uh fighting each other and brawling and the 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 spatial differential that you mentioned there john uh where it seemed to take him a million years to get down there and slice off a few heads <laughs> we, we there's no logic whatsoever to where anybody is like this is not say what you will about peter jackson's hobbit movies uh you at least you at least had a sense of where what was and in this case, it's like they decided, OK, we're going to have the car run over a guy's head. Um, but before we do that, we're going to establish it like everybody has ran up to meet each other in the middle. So there's not really enough room for the car to get the head start that it seemed to. And none of this makes any sense, but it, it just involves a bunch of like buckets of fake blood and not even good fake blood. Like it looked like it was just red paint. Um, yeah splattered uh in different places um and then then we have our first significant death uh and that is the death of of the traitorous uh the dishonest the disloyal uh destinella uh the the horrible 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 woman oh she's so bad oh oh what a <laughs> what a nasty nasty woman she is oh no um how how do we feel about the way that destinella died well, john i mean we we had some really ridiculous deaths up to this point but but this was like you know this was this was one of the ones where where they had to they had to first kill her and and, and then run her over you know, and and and, and there, uh -huh. again, no no motivation for this car. Uh, as far as I know, only the bad guys have cars, so it makes no sense. But like, she, but 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 she gets she gets killed. Didn't she get killed by the 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 nameless woman? Yes. Well, yes, she, she, right, she's right. first killed by her. Um, right, right. That's the thing, and, and it, it's one of these. It's one of these sequences where, like, she's she's standing in front of uh of our hero. You think he's not going to do anything because he can't bring himself to to kill 
a woman or to kill his girlfriend. And then like she does that like jerk from behind, you know, because look who's who's come up behind her. It's 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 the nameless woman. And and she slides down off the sword. And then and, well, and, then, <laughs> and, and then in doing that, we reveal that she had a knife behind her back and was going to kill Scott. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's, it's 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 the whole we can't we can't just actually have someone kill someone because they're fighting. They have to, like, be completely evil. But 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 then <laughs> she lands down and <laughs> this car comes zooming in out of nowhere. And 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 runs, you know. Obvi- Fortunately, this is like one of the worst uh, practical effects in the film. It's it, it it is so obviously not Julie Strain or anything resembling a human being that gets run over that you can't really you can't really uh, be that offended by it. It just seems like wantonly cruel to me, is what it feels. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the thing is, you know, like I mentioned, I, I, whether it was the whole sequence or part of it that it looked like it wasn't Julie Strain. I, I feel like, okay, A, I think you're definitely right. It was definitely not her fake her under the fake car. Um, <laughs> uh, in, in the, in the bit where she's killed, that's, that's, that's definitely her. Okay. Mm-hmm. To be fair, that's definitely her. But in, in pretty much every other shot where they aren't close in on her, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that it's not her. And I don't know why I'm obsessed with this or why I care at this point. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure why I care about anything at this point. Let's be honest. <laughs> Um, so, so we've, so we've killed Destinella, um, Hightower Bell and a couple of his guys are still left. Um, and we have, we have Scott and the nameless woman, um, you know, just look at each other again, again, no, no dialogue, which frankly is probably a good choice, uh, for this movie, uh, in, in any, uh, in any case where they can have no dialogue. Mm -hmm. This, this is, this is where things get magical again. Um, We've done the super long tracking shot on the on the skateboard. We uh, we have healed the skateboard that was broken in two. Um, but to kill our big bad guy, uh, we've got to go yet further. And so Scott gets on the skateboard, and we get our little synth, uh, you know, action movie music going. Like this is going to be this is going to be the big moment. This is going to be the thing. And. As he's sailing through on the skateboard, he gets knocked off of the skateboard at the last minute. Oh, no. But the skateboard (laughs) is still rolling. The skateboard is still rolling. (laughs) And we cut from the skateboard to Bell to him. I forget the order because it's cut faster than a Paul Greengrass movie in the early aughts. Um, And as he gets himself up... His eyes are supposed to eye line match with bells with bell laughing at him. And then we just cut to Scott on the skateboard. (laughs) He's just appeared on the skateboard and cuts off bells head. No explanation. This was like none of this was covered. This was not a power that was explained. It just happens because it happens. Um, So I, I mean, was, was this a satisfying end for our, for our antagonist? Uh, do we feel like he should have been punished remotely as much as Destinella was? He he was actually the hero of the story, and you guys have been confused the entire time. <laughs> I don't deny that. I, I, I was actually not sure that Scott would be the one to die in the end. So I was surprised that it happened this way. Look, all I can say is I, I did this. Although we've been talking about this film for a very long time, it's not it's not 
it's not a long film in 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 minutes, but it is. <laughs> it will take it will take life out of you. So so at this point, I was just I was at this point, I was just happy for whatever seemed to be drawing it towards a a conclusion and and fewer characters to me spells conclusion. So before we we wrap things up with final thoughts, I mean, the, the last actual thing that happens in the movie is this woman who has basically said almost nothing and effectively been a prop for our hero the entire time. They only paid her for two lines. Yeah, they only paid her for two lines. Um, looks into Scott's eyes um, and says, finally, I can be Destina real. <laughs> and cut to credits. And I don't know how I thought the movie was going to end, but I didn't think it was going to end that way. It was really abrupt, actually. Um how drawn out everything else was. It was like, bam. Hold on, hold on. And it was, okay, I was about to say, it's really abrupt. Are you talking about this moment in the movie or literally yeah, every scene moment, in the movie? This this moment in the movie compared to everything else. It's like, uh, yeah, they must have just run out of film or tape. Yeah, I um, I, I mentioned Donald G. Jackson at the beginning of this. And, and he and Scott Shaw, who starred in the Rollerblade 7 and various <laughs> other movies for Donald Jackson, uh, the man who was obsessed with scantily clad women fighting in rollerblades. Um, he must have been a cousin of Derek Stevens's or something. Um, but they they pioneered this thing that they called Zen filmmaking. <laughs> and this is this is in the Wikipedia entry for how it comes to Frogtown or, or roller. No, actually, I think it's the one for Rollerblade Seven. Um, and um, and the, the whole ethos of Zen filmmaking is uh, making movies without a script. And I was pretty sure that that existed before those movies started being made. Um, and and this movie's a testament to it. Like he did not right. need to license this concept from them. But that's I, if if I have ever if I have ever uh, seen something that seemed like he threw some word salad at people and said, <laughs> "Okay, now just make stuff up." Uh, that's what this movie is uh, to me. Um, Cicero, you you feel like uh, Hightower Bell's gotten short shrift uh, from us tonight. Uh, what what are your your closing thoughts on the movie? Uh, if you you know if you watch this film uh, in reverse, you can. <laughs> so you're saying we should watch it again? Yes, you in reverse. Watch it again. But but but. <laughs> So, you know, Hightower Bell was the only one who had it all figured out, man. He was the hero of the story uh, and he was treated like a villain. And I think that that was the message that the director was trying to, you know, pass on to us all along. That was that was it, man. The, the, you, missed the, you, you didn't glean the cube. The, the secret was in front of us the whole time. Exactly. <laughs> he um, was the true Lord. Annette, uh, Annette, how, how, I mean, do you feel like your life was forever changed? Yes. I, I had never um, sort of watched anything in this, I don't know if you can call it a genre before. And I can say my life has been changed in knowing that I will never watch another movie in this genre again. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, I feel like I'm a little scarred, actually. Uh, so, yeah, I it really makes you appreciate good stuff so much more. Yeah, and I think you underestimate, uh, like you know, you see a movie that you don't like, and you're like, "Wow, that was I just didn't like it. That was a bit crap." And I'm, now I realize, no, those movies weren't actually that bad. This is it, this is probably the worst movie I've ever seen. 
And uh, yeah, I, I think I think you just hit exactly why Jason said, good luck, have fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm busy. <laughs> I, well, I, and, and it wasn't easy to get a copy of this movie. We had to do some. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, the, well, so, for, you know, for me, for me, uh, you know, I feel like people are going to be <laughs> disappointed that they can't just like order it from Amazon for mm-hmm. $48 or something ridiculous like other movies that are hard to find. I'm I'm not sure that this movie was ever commercially made available because like there there are movies like Manos the Hands of Fate shot right here in my home state of Texas that w- that was almost a lost film like they did a world premiere of it out in West Texas somewhere where they shot it and then it, it basically just disappeared and then somebody had made a tape of it and got it to the people at MST3K and that's the whole reason <laughs> that people <laughs> knew it even existed like there are movies like this that were shot in the backwoods of Michigan in you know probably a bunch more that were shot on the LA spillway that um <laughs> that got made question mark and mm-hmm. never really got any sort of a release um so i mean uh it's it's giving this movie uh higher praise than it deserves uh to say that uh <laughs> you know it really is a miracle that this movie got finished um at all uh john closing thoughts on this um on this movie how, how has it changed your life how has it changed your outlook on movies on <laughs> wanting to continue watching movies continue living well well you know i i i i wasn't i wasn't a big fan of movies before this and, and i've become less of a fan of movies after this i i think i think perhaps the movies were uh, uh no no to, to be to be serious there's one sequence that that sticks out to me i i know i know i keep focusing on these things in the background but in that last that last climatic battle when there were like there were like fake bodies strewn about the place and there were um like you know fake arms ripped off and everyone was covered with like as you mentioned the blood was like this bright orange red paint stuff that was just over (laughs) everything but but in the background, there were there were these two guys. One guy was holding the other guy, and this guy had like blood streaming down his face. He had obviously actually bashed his head into something. <laughs> and it was and the it's, most it's, real it's, moment. It's, of it's the movie. those yeah, moments. The, those the moments most, I live for. The most practical effect in a movie uh, <laughs> that you don't want to believe exists. <laughs> so so yeah, that 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 that's 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 what will stick with me. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, for those of you who will ask and you will ask, uh, yes, we have digital copies of this movie. No, we cannot provide them to you because you would be surprised. Um, but I, there, there's a movie called Grizzly two, uh, the sequel to Grizzly, uh, a Jaws ripoff. And this sequel has John Reese Davies, George Clooney, various other names you actually know in it was never actually released. And somebody posted it to archive.org and this woman who identifies herself as the producer of the film said in the comments like eight months ago, uh, this is copyright infringement, you know, uh, you know, bah, 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 bah. Um, right. the last thing I want is to get sued over this movie. So if you can <laughs> find it, look, more power to you. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I regret to inform you that none of us are going to, uh, to, to cede this to you, uh, as it, as it were in the, in the parlance of my uncle Torrance. Um, we're, we're doing it for their own good though. Cause yeah. they don't, they don't yeah. actually want to watch you it. You really they don't. Want to backwards. Uh, yeah. Cicero found, found a new way to appreciate this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, any, any, any last, uh, last things or are we done? Have we finally put a seal on this coffin and, and are, are dropping it into a tomb a thousand miles Please. deep? We're done. Um, tie, tie rocks around it and drop it into the ocean and listen to the drum beats. <laughs> uh, I'm It'll ready to roll on. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, then the only, th- <laughs> the only thing that remains is for me to thank my panelists. Uh, uh, Annette Weirstra, uh, people can hear you right here on the Incomparable Network, uh, doing Erp Chirp. And it's uh, a lot better than Last Dance of the Devils. It's worth saving. <laughs> <laughs> There's actual girl power, not chick power. Ex- exactly, exactly yeah. my point. Support yeah. stuff that actually deserves to survive, like Winona Earp. Uh, John McCoy, sophomore lit. What do you what do you have coming up uh, for people uh, in in sophomore lit right here on the Incomparable? You know, I, I have no idea when this is going to to air, so <laughs> I'll just say we're probably we're probably going to be doing the next thing, uh, another Laura Ingalls Wilder book. Uh, but uh, for subscribers, uh, you know, it's my tradition to do a a trash book from from the past. Uh, I've done uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I've done. Uh, I've avoided. I love doing that reading for you. Yeah, so and, bad. And, and, <laughs> and coming up will be uh, Men Are for Mars, Women Are for Venus. Uh, so oh, if man. I can survive, I I will fight anybody on <laughs> on a skateboard with a samurai sword. Uh, um, Cicero, uh, your, uh, your, your show that you do with, uh, with my pals, Khalif Adams and, uh, and Sharif, uh, Jackson is, is now on terrestrial radio in Portland, Oregon. Do I have that right? That is correct. On, uh, xray.fm, uh, 91.1 and 107.1 on your FM dial in Portland, Oregon. So check out Tuesdays, that show spotlighting, uh, People of color talking about the gaming industry, games, all things games uh, and issues uh, that you don't hear on other gaming podcasts. Um, that leaves it for me to uh, to close things out on this this episode about a, a movie that got made, shouldn't have been made, uh, that that uh, that if nothing else um, truly communicates that if you want to be a pawn shop skateboard Jedi, yes, yes, you can. Um, so uh, I'm Moises Chuyan and... Uh, just keep in mind that either you roll or life rolls you. Uh, this has been Rocket Surgery. Thanks for listening. <laughs>